So we've been looking uh, this fall at the parables, uh, and in a couple of weeks, uh, as Kevin mentioned, we will begin the season of Advent. And this year, uh, we're going to start at Advent a year-long project where uh, the sermons that we do uh, in um, worship are going to follow uh, um, the church calendar and predominantly the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, before you freak out about that, we still preach the Bible. In fact, you're going to have lots of Bible this year, lots, lots of Bible, plenty of opportunities to read the Bible, so relax. The other thing um, to note about this is, is that our theme that we're going to be exploring more intently over the coming year is the theme of our union with Christ. And by going through uh, the church calendar, what, what you do is you go through the life of Christ, the one to whom we are united, right? So it makes sense that we will take a year to hit the big events uh, that we see in the Gospels and then uh, the big events uh, in the church as Jesus continues his ministry uh, through the church. So um, it, uh, we've never done uh, something like that before. And so uh, for this coming year, it seems like that will be a, a great opportunity for us. You'll be hearing a lot more about that, uh, but we will uh, actually begin uh, that just in a couple of weeks. The first Sunday in Advent is actually the uh, 2nd of December, I think, this year. Thanksgiving is, is as early as it possibly can be. Did you know that? I study these things. So, uh, so yeah, so just you'll be hearing more about that uh, as uh, the time uh, gets closer. But today, uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 46 uh, through 49. Um, it's a famous parable. It's a short parable. Uh, and um, again, as I've said numerous times, anything that's familiar to us uh, tends to be dangerous because we tend to uh, discount uh, what it has to say. But today, we're going to look at Luke 6, 46 through 49. Text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Which is the question, isn't it? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Martin Luther, uh, who... Um, wrote his 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door and uh, began um, in many ways. Well, he didn't begin, but uh, he uh, was in the stream of the reforming of the church. Um, one of the things that drove him crazy about following Christ was how was it possible for him to be justified completely, 100%, at the same time he was a sinner, right? Um, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And let me just stop right here. There, if, if there's anybody in here who thinks they are doing everything that the Lord tells them and that you, <laughs> you, you don't have an issue with this, please come see me. <laughs> please. We, we really need to talk. And in fact, we need to talk before you walk out of this building today. Okay. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep 
and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it has it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So let's go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So um, a couple of things to note about this text. One is that uh, in uh, this, uh, Jesus tells this parable twice. He, in uh, the, in um, the Gospel of Matthew, he tells this parable uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Luke, he tells this parable at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, which is, you know, he pre- these are, you know, a, a, his biggest collection, his longest uh, uh, collection of teaching at one place. And then he ends it by saying, hey, you know, it's not just a matter of listening to what I say, but it's, an, it's a matter of actually resting your life on the foundation of who I am and what I've said in such a way that it begins to affect your behavior, right? You begin to do the things um, that I've said. Now, most of us are more familiar, frankly, with the um, uh, the parable from Matthew because it's a little bit different from the one here in Luke. And you've, if you grew up in church, you might have sung that song, you know, the wise man built his house upon a rock, right? You know, You know that song, right? Yes, uh, and it is a great song, and it, and re, it reflects the emphasis, right, in, uh, in Matthew, because in, 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 in Matthew, the emphasis in the parable is about uh, wise builders and foolish builders. There's no mention of wise or foolish here. It's just simply one guy built his house on the rock and one guy didn't, and when the storms came, the house that wasn't built on the rock fell. Okay, the emphasis here is more on the foundation and less on the stupidity, foolishness, and laziness of the other, which is kind of a bummer for us because when we think about this parable, I know many of you are are, are sitting here this morning or you have sometime in the last few days or recently looked around at your friends and neighbors and fellow believers and brothers and sisters in church and you've judged their foundation. And you're eagerly anticipating their ruin. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe they came to ruin this week. Maybe their house fell down and you were like secretly, yes, there is a God. I knew it. Sooner or later, they were going to get it. And they did. That's awesome, right? I think that's funny um, because I think that's exactly the way we tend uh, to think about this, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, what Jesus is getting at here is something that should uh, really sober all of us up. Um, because the temptation that we have, even those of us who are doing everything right, you know, we're, we're, we're raising our kids right and we're working hard and uh, we're, you know, following all the, the rules, we're doing everything just right and things are coming together for us. The, the, the problem with that is what Jesus is saying here in this text is, you know, build your house the right way and storms will never come. That's not what he's saying. The storm's coming. Just like you woke up this morning and I went outside to get the paper. Sure enough, I'm like, you know, I thought this year we were going to avoid winter. And I thought, you know, this is the year finally when global warming really kicks in and there is no, there is no winter. But you know what? I guess, I guess I'm wrong because I thought it was pretty 
stinking cold this morning when I went outside, right? So, so the issue is the storm is going to come, right? One way or another. So what, what happens to us, what Jesus is getting at here is when the storm comes, where, where's your hope? What is it that you are standing on? What is it that you are entrusting yourself to, right? Now, this has something to say to every single person in here. If you are a teenager in here today, if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, I know the temptation that you experience is that you want to build your life on your grades, college admissions, and your friends. If you're an adult here today, you are want well, your foundation and the thing that you are entrusting yourself to save you is upon your hard work, your achievements, maybe your relationships, your reputation. If you're old like me, you're counting today on the fact that someday soon you will have saved enough money and you can quit working and you will ease into your retirement and all you're going to do is look great, play golf, and hang out with other great-looking golf-playing people. <laughs> right? I can't remember the last time I played golf, so I don't, yeah. So that's, that's how we kind of... That's how we kind of think about it. We bank ourselves in all of those things, right? And it's not that those things are necessarily bad, but they are not saviors. They are not foundations. And when the storm comes, if that's what you're counting on, your house has fallen for sure. So we hear this and we think, you know, well, this, this guy who, who obviously built his house just on the dirt, what an idiot, right? We think, of course, everybody knows you don't do that. Well, let's take a step back for a second. First of all, who in here builds their house? There's a couple of guys in here who do it, right? But I'm curious, as I look out over the congregation, I'm thinking, when was the last time that guy swung a hammer? Well, and you know what? That just showed my ignorance because nobody uses hammers anymore. Have you noticed that? They got those cool things that you just go like that and the nail goes right in, right? Right? That's why your your forearms are getting smaller, builders, because you can always tell a carpenter because they have these massive forearms from swinging a hammer all the time. So... Let's think a little bit about what must it be like to build a house in the first century? You call the backhoe, and it comes to your ground, and it digs the foundation for you. And then, then you hire some guys to put some rebar down there in the, in, the, in the trench, and then you call the ready mix guys, and the cement truck comes, backs up to your lot, and pours the foundation, and, and then you... Then you call the guy and the truck comes with the bricks and the guy gets the little, you know, you know how you see those brick uh, or uh, roofing trucks out and they've got that uh, lift on, <laughs> hanging off the back of it, bouncing up and down as it goes. And they take that. Wait, you don't have that in the first century. Building a house. And well, just think about it. What would it be like? with none of those things, and you've got to build a house. And 
you have to build it during the dry season because you can't do it during the wet season. And, and think about this for, uh, for a second, um, that uh, as you do this and as you work at this, uh, there's no Occupational Safety and Health Administration to make sure you're doing what you need to be doing. It, this is all hard, life-threatening, back-breaking work. So the temptation to cut a corner here or there, trust me, that you're going to want to do that. When, uh, when I was 12 years old, my brother was 16, uh, my dad decided that what we really needed to do was close in our attached carport on our house and add on the back of that a, a, a kitchen, a new kitchen with a cellar underneath it. We dug the cellar by hand. Um, and we did all this work ourselves, every single bit of it. I'll never forget, uh, I, I have a vague memory of this, of a guy pulling up in front of the house in a car with a county sticker on it. And ask, he asked my dad, you know, Mr. Shelby, where's your building permit for this? And my dad's like, I, th- I thought this was my house. <laughs> I don't really know how that ended up. I just remember being in the ditch digging and hoping that, you know, everything worked out. And it did. We got it built. And, you know, it was a great addition. Uh, uh, we had all kinds of meetings. Young Life had, you know, we had... Uh, it was great. It was, it was really wonderful, but uh, I hated every second of it. It was miserable, miserable. Um, and so whenever you think about this, as you look at this, and, 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 and as we, we, we read this text, before, before you get, oh, that guy's bad, you know, because he cut corners. The fact of the matter is uh, cutting corners uh, is really appealing when you're in this situation and every single aspect of this is backbreaking, dangerous, hard, challenging work, right? So, so we have to kind of come at this with a little bit of humility, right? The fact of the matter is living life, if we take the metaphor and we extend it, your life is hard. Things are difficult, right? And, 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 fa- and the fact of the matter is the, the temptation will come to us over and over and over again, where the challenge of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ comes to us, and our temptation is going to be to think, you know what, that's just too hard. It's too hard to love that person. It's too challenging to, to engage uh, uh, with, with this difficult situation. I, it, it's just going to happen, right? And so the issue that Jesus is getting at here and the thing that challenges us today and the, the thing that we have to begin to unpack is the, the temptation will be around us over and over and over and over again to build our lives, to build our hope, to build our certainty upon something that in the end uh, will disappoint and really cause quite, quite a, a, a devastating thing to us, right? So, so where did Jesus come up? with this idea about building on a solid foundation. Well, it comes to us from Isaiah, uh, well, a number of places out of the Old Testament, but I think the primary place he's thinking of today is from Isaiah 28, 14 to 18. So let's look at that real quickly. Um, Isaiah writes, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement, 
When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we've taken shelter. Now you read that and you think, how stupid are these people? They made a covenant with death. They, they made a, uh, they made lies their refuge and falsehood. They've taken shelter. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. No wonder things are hard on them. Not only are they, you know, bad people, not only do they not believe the truth, they're stupid. Nobody does that. <clears throat> well, what's going on in this text? Well, what's going on in this text is Israel looks around and hears and sees the Assyrian army, which was the dominant world power at the time, is coming. And they're going to invade them. Right? And so this, what, what Isaiah says, you've made a covenant with death. He's not saying that they, they've done something, you know, that only, that, you know, mentally ill people do or something like that. What he, what he's, what he's talking to, he's using the word death and shield to reflect to us Egypt. Right? Israel's facing invasion. And so rather than entrust themselves to the Lord, what are they going to do? They cast about for an ally and they look at Egypt. Now, why? Why doesn't he say Egypt? Well, he says, you've made a covenant with death, right? Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, you took Western civilization and what do you know about Egypt? They're a little enamored with death, right? The pyramids, they weren't built to draw tourists to Egypt, Okay, the, the, the pyramids were built as tombs. They're cemeteries, right, for, for uh, the pharaohs, right? So they really think a lot about death. It's a big thing to them. So, so Israel aligns itself with Egypt, right? And so the, the idea is that when Assyria shows up, Egypt will come and be their savior. Egypt will come and be the one who keeps them from being invaded, right? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will not, you will be beaten down by it. So the fact of the matter is, from the very beginning, human beings have made a covenant with death. When Eve looks at the fruit in the garden and the serpent whispers in her ear, look at that. It looks good. It tastes good. It's going to be awesome. And if you eat this, you'll be just like God. When he does that, right, what happens? They're making a covenant with death. And God is not going to allow that covenant with death to stand. And so God comes and says, you know, this is not going to work. I'm going to bring uh, through the seed of the woman uh, someone to crush the serpent's head. And I am going to spend the rest of eternity breaking this covenant that human beings whom I love have made with death. Right. And so that's exactly what is happening here. With us, we our tendency is to make a covenant to build our lives upon that thing which in the end will only lead to our destruction, right? So sooner or later, a flood is coming, right? Listen, that's, that's the thing about it is you can build a great house, right? And build it on the solid foundation. And you can rest secure in that house, not because you've built such a good house, you've guaranteed that no storm is ever going to come, Every single one of us, sooner or later, 
experiences a storm. Sooner or later, the flood's going to come. Sooner or later, you're going you're to lose your job or you're going to have a broken relationship or you're going to get sick and you're going to die. And so the fact of the matter is, when those things come, on what will your hope be? On what will your trust be? Right? So this is, this is the thing that is so powerful for us uh, because we, we tend... We tend to think that what we need, what faith looks like is avoiding the storm or avoiding the, uh, uh, the flood when in fact you can't avoid it, right? But you can examine and you can think about what ultimately is my hope and my trust. Now there's a couple of things that, that uh, the storm and the flood could be a mercy to us. First in that false trusts lead not just to disappointment, but to ruin. You see, the, the fact of the matter is, if, if the Lord looks at you and says, you know what, I know you're putting your faith and your trust in this, and I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let you keep building your life on that which is false and that which will ultimately lead to your ruination. And so, um, you know, it's like, it's like the, the guy's building his house, and he does a pretty good job except this one corner, and he's tired, and he doesn't dig the foundation there, and he just builds the house and so when the storm comes, it wipes that corner of the house out. That's a mercy. Because it shows him and it teaches him, you know what? Hey, the, the bottom line for us today is that, you know, the only foundation that works, the only foundation that is sure and steady and solid and unchanging is the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? Um. Secondly, there's another mercy that we can see in the middle of the storm, the faithfulness of our Savior. You know, it is a great thing for us to be in a situation where we know as the storm goes on around us that we, even in the midst of the storm, in the place where God has us, that we are ultimately safe and secure. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I got caught off guard by that hurricane. Remember the hurricane that came through here? Some of, you know, some of you are looking at me like, well, we had a hurricane? Well, that's kind of how I was. I'm, I'm a classic middle-aged old man. I, I watch the Weather Channel. I actually do. I'm interested in the weather, right? I know what's going to happen, right? I'm, or at least what the Weather Channel says is going to happen. And so, uh, you know, the Weather Channel people, they're celebrities to me. You know, I noticed that they quit wearing L.L. Bean jackets, and now they wear Land's End jackets. You know who pays attention to that? Well, I do. Because I want to know what the weather's doing. I wasn't paying any attention to this hurricane. Didn't think it was going to be a big deal. I drive home and I'm thinking, wow, it's raining kind of hard. And the wind's blowing. Eh, okay, big deal. So I go in the house and I'm eating dinner. And I start hearing all this noise outside. Like, what is happening? And so I go, turn, I go, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go out there and see. So I open the door. Well, first of all, I can barely get the door open because the wind's blowing so hard. And I go out and all these sticks and all this stuff are flying and I see the potted plants that we have out on our deck are just sweeping out into the darkness by the wind. I'm like, wait a minute, what, what happened here? I didn't know this was going to happen. I always know what the weather's going to do and I had no idea this was going to happen. Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is I, I was tired and I thought, Jesus, keep the pots from hitting my neighbor's house. I'm going to go back in and close the door and turn the light out and just trust that everything's okay. 
because I'm too tired to do anything about it, and it's dangerous. I don't want to do anything about it. So, so the fact of the matter is it is a mercy to us in the midst of the storm to have a place where we can see the violence and the terror that the storm is, but we know we have a place where we can rest and entrust ourselves to that which never goes away, to that which never changes. So, so here's the thing, and I think this is a question that we have to ask ourselves all the time. In whom or what will you trust to save you? What do you give your heart to? Right? Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus loves you so much, he's not going to leave any other room in your life for other saviors. Right? And our heart and our tendency is to entrust ourselves to other foundations, to other things to give our lives to over and over and over again. Now, the way this tends to work for us and the way this tends to happen is, uh, for most of us, it's not a wholesale rejection of the truth or the demands of the gospel in my life, but it's something that we pick through, right? So we, we begin to look at our lives and we think, well, I'm going to follow Jesus in this. I'm going to take him at his word at this. But this other stuff over here is too hard, and I'm not going to do that, right? So I came across this, this quote from a guy who writes for the New York Times a while ago, and I think this is... This is pretty powerful. It says, if God wills the suspension, that means, hey, you don't have to pay any attention to what I said. If God wills the suspension of his own law when things get particularly difficult or complicated, when the storm comes, whenever too much emotional or physical suffering would be imposed, from the point of view of every Christian who ever suffered or even died for the sake of their hardest passages, the gospel looked less like revelation than a somewhat cruel trick. Right? If, if what Jesus does for you is says, you know what, go ahead and build your life on that uh, and, and entrust yourself to these other things, uh, I don't really care and it doesn't really matter to me and it, it doesn't really uh, bother me that he can kind of pick and choose for us those things which about his work, his character, his sacrifice for us uh, that are important. We get to pick and choose the ones that, that we like and ignore the ones that we don't. If that's the way it works then what kind, of, what kind of faith do we have? Well, I'll tell you what we have. For most of us, our faith boils down to what I will call a cafeteria-style faith. Now, I know many of you do not know what a cafeteria is. You think it has something to do with health insurance. Uh, there, there, there's this thing, particularly in rural parts of the country, where you can go... And you walk in and you take a tray and there's this long line with these really sweet people there with spoons in their hands, big spoons, waiting to spoon up chicken and dumplings or uh, whatever. Liver and onions was my favorite to get actually at the, uh, at the cafeteria. And, and, they, and they give it to you and then... There's a lady at the end who's at the cash register and she randomly, you know, hits these numbers and gives you a bill. And for, you know, 10 pounds of food, you pay three bucks. <laughs> but you get to pick and choose as you go through. Like, if you want to, you don't have to eat any vegetables. 
You can eat only meat. Right? I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> As my, when my dad got older, you know, every time I would go to see him, he's like, let's go to the cafeteria. You know, he, he would just go and get, you know, he'd eat a lot and he just ate what he wanted. Right? And they always have jello. Anyway, uh, that's kind of the way we think about our faith, isn't it? It's like, well, I like this stuff about Jesus. I don't really like this stuff about him. I know Jesus is putting his finger on this area in my life, but, you know, I'm going to ignore that. So uh, in reality, however, cafeteria Christianity is the path to religious extinction. The Jenga tower, you know what Jenga is, you know, building, you got the sticks in it, you pull them out one by one until it falls, right? The Jingle Tower will always ultimately fall. Why? Because each assertion of my will over what Jesus says is an assertion of human authority, Steve's authority, over Jesus' will. It is a statement of my supremacy over God. And when I'm supreme, why worship God? The storm's coming. You might be in it right now. And the issue is in the mercy of God and the grace of God, he is tearing down, tearing down those things that we entrust ourselves to that in the end lead to our ruination. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins by using this prayer of confession. Uh, It's in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. Holy Lord, we are guilty of pride and unbelief, of failure to find your mind and your word, of neglect to seek you in our daily lives. Our violations and failures present our consciences with a long list of accusations, but they shall not stand. For we lay them all now on Christ, our sacrifice and advocate. Lord, subdue our weaknesses and selfishness, granting us grace to live above them. Let us not be mastered by them, but have you rule over us in liberty and power. We praise and thank you for your wisdom and love for sometimes putting us into the furnace to refine our gold and remove our dross. Deliver us from every evil habit, everything that dims the brightness of your grace in us, everything that prevents us from taking our deepest delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
believer, hear the good news. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. I would make an addendum to the uh, parable of the foundations um, and that is the addendum of the three little pigs. You know that story? One pig built a house out of straw, and the big bad wolf came and blew, and it went down. And before the big bad wolf could eat him, which only happens in fairy tales, because why would the wolf blow his house down if he wasn't going to have some barbecue? But uh, he runs to the guy who built his house out of sticks. They think they're cool until the wolf comes and he blows that house down, and then they go to the pig that worked the hardest and built his house out of bricks, and in there, they're safe, right? I'm running out of my straw-built, stick-built house all the time. God loves me enough, loves you enough, to blow those houses down, to force us to the house that's built on the sure foundation. That's mercy, and that's grace. And we can entrust ourselves to that, and we can entrust ourselves to him. You and I come today, as we come every week, a mixed bag. And the Lord is faithful in our mixed bag to continue to refine us and to change us and to stretch us, and uh, to mold us, and to move us from all the false hopes, and the false saviors, and the false foundations that we build our lives on to the one that never changes. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know, you recognize that you've built your life on a lot of different things, but in the end, the only surety that you have is the person and work of Jesus Christ. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, then he says to you again today, come, be renewed, be nourished, be challenged, and be reminded of his goodness and grace to you. As the elders come down to assist me, let me remind you the outer uh, uh, ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is gluten-free.